you want me to read a text to you that lives rent-free in my head right now? Yes, please do. What uh, does the text say? Because it is 100% right, sir or ma'am, and I can only just sit here and go, you're right. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's tough when you get one of those texts. Yeah, I, I just can't even counter it. You guys are doing exactly what Skip Bayless wants you and others to do. Talk about it on your radio show. Ignore him and he goes away. It's just clickbait. I've been ignoring it for 20 years, and it still just keeps popping up. I'm trying, friend. I'm trying. But there is a certain le- It's like, what do I always say? My When I'm laying on my deathbed, and I'm sitting there, and the, the good Lord is calling on me, my dying wish is, uh, I hope that someone says something stupid about OU on social media. And nobody responds. No quote tweets. I I hope that you guys quit giving Brandon Walker a form to bother you. That's it. It's my dying wish. He's a Mississippi State fan, everyone. Who cares? <laughs> That's probably all you need to I, I don't want you guys to respond to Colin Coward's stupid, <coughs> stupid videos. And yet you are right because here I am doing the same thing. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely a bazillion percent right. I don't know what else to say except my bad. Uh, from the 918. Cowboys fan here. How the heck would you feel with Dak as your quarterback? Just do not hire Lincoln Riley and I will stay an insufferable fan for life. We don't spend too much time during the college football season diving into the NFL as much as we tend to talk about it off the air because we are the home of Sooner fans. But you want to talk about a you want to talk about a weekend that seems to be littered with potential game slash season changing results, right? Just take Take a look at the NFL schedule this weekend. There are so many games where a team can go from being one and two to two and two, and are suddenly one and two to one and three, or zero oh and three to zero oh and four. Where you're like, they're done. I mean, two teams are going to be zero oh and four, and two teams are going to be one and three. And one of those teams gave up all of its draft capital for a quarterback, and one of those teams. Won its division last year. I mean, crazy. Yeah, Minnesota has to win. Uh, like, well, you've got the uh, like Saints and Buccaneers. The good, Saints and Buccaneers. Good game. Uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, Derek Carr is totally playing in that game. You dude think he missed, is? Yeah, dude just does not miss games. Even with uh, the AC thing? I mean – yeah, I don't know how severe it is, but I'm just I'm 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 ready shoot aim on that one, Josh. I don't really have any information. I'm just going from my historical perspective. I mean, think, I think, still like the Bucks, dude. I like the Bucks a lot in that game, but it is in it is in New Orleans. Uh, we got the the Saints game last week, the Saints Packers game here on CBS. I forgot how bad Jameis Winston was. What 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 happened? He's terrible. It is wild, isn't it, that somebody could be that good of a college quarterback, go pro, and just be terrible? Think about this. Whoever wins the Raiders-Chiefs game might find themselves in a position where they're like, all right, let's go battle for the wild card. Let's see what's going to happen here. Whoever loses, dude, they might be done. Have you heard Devontae Adams already? 
Maybe I'm just looking at one game too much. But, yeah, there. And it all starts tomorrow night with the Lions and the Packers. And then don't forget, you get the Falcons and the Jaguars Sunday morning from Wembley Stadium. Yeah, that's an important, important game for the Chargers. Obviously, they uh, got into the win column, big win at uh, Minnesota. But after the Raiders, it's Cowboys at Chiefs. Mm. So you lose this one to the Raiders, and all of a sudden, one in five is, uh, you know, honestly, probably likely. All right, you ready? Here we go. Brent Venables, during his weekly press conference yesterday, I always think it's good to get a little perspective. Uh, here was Coach's opening statement on the matchup coming up against Iowa State. All right, and uh, here it goes. Got a great uh, matchup this week uh, with Iowa State, a team that's had a lot of success against the Sooners. I had a great win last week against uh, Oklahoma State, and they played really, really well on both sides of the ball. Uh, quarterback uh, Rocco Beck had a had a terrific game, passed for 350 yards and uh, zero interceptions, and a really good game. And uh, obviously, Iowa State's two and two coming in on the on the year. Uh, had a game against Iowa a couple of weeks ago. That went down to the last possession of the game, and uh, came up short, twenty to thirteen, and and lost a tough game uh, at Ohio, a game which they were missing their their best receiver. And uh, uh, again, the, the defensively, uh, they're playing really really well again on defense, number one in the in the Big Twelve. Uh, in total defense and have been the standard on defense uh, the last uh, five years or so here in the conference, in the Big 12 Conference. They do a, a fantastic job, Coach Heacock and his staff, on defense. And, uh, you know, I've been really impressed uh, with what I've seen from their football team, uh, certainly considering some of the off-the-field uh, issues that they've been going through. Uh, you know, they've done... Uh, you know, much better than probably a lot of people anticipated. And um, they're getting better uh, each week. No surprise, Coach Campbell and his staff have done a, a fantastic job, uh, you know, since he's been there. And uh, as we know, the last three times that Iowa State's come to, to Norman against some pretty good teams in 17, 19, and 21, uh, they've had a lot of success. And uh, they won and two in those games. But, uh, the scoreboard uh, total uh, for both sides of the ball is 101 for Oklahoma and 100 for uh, Iowa State. Oh, wow. So uh, they'll have great confidence. It'll be a disciplined, tough, physical uh, football team. Uh, and uh, going to be, again, uh, a good challenge for us uh, this week. Wow. That is that is a number. Hey, speaking of numbers, I saw – I got to be honest with you, Josh. Sometimes I'll throw a tweet out, and I'm thinking, all right, we're going to get some traction on that bad boy. Not a lot of traction. I want attraction, Josh. Not a lot of traction on the second down tweet that I threw out yesterday. I kind of thought, this is going to get some – this will be one of those that I'll look down, and it will have double-digit numbers because – Stat dorks. Stat dorks are going to love this. They said, whatever, dude. Actually, I think if you go back – hold on, let me look. I think it's my least viewed tweet that I've thrown out. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, yeah, see, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, more people have read my uh, reaction to the 
poll on the Raiders beat tweet about Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell than they have Coach Venables talking about analytics and numbers. You stat people told me this was the future. But in, in just little things like that, it, by that I mean Brent Venables talking about, hey, man, you look at the OU's one, what did he say, three of the four, something like that. It, but the combined score in those games is 101 to 100. You see so many different approaches, right? Dabo not using the portal at all. Dion using it like crazy. Some coaches that don't believe in you know, getting too carried away with numbers, others that do. I kind of get the sense that I'm digging how Brent Venables is creating his own idea of what a head coach should be and how he should operate and not really Josh getting stuck in his own ways to where he said, well, this is how I've always done it and this is how it's always worked and by God, this is how it's going to be. By goodness, I'm really trying to stop using the Lord's name in vain. I'm so sorry. But by goodness, this is going to be the way that it'll be. So I I guess more than anything else, Josh, and that's just, that's I'm not like losing my mind over the numbers. It's just he brought that up and it clicked with me. Not over-relying on analytics, but aware of what they tell you. Not over-reliant on hey, the stat or the the sheet says to do this, but also having that feel to where, hey, all right, well, if I do this, the numbers say that this will work. So I, I dig that because a lot of times when you come from a certain tree, you might say, well, that's how it's going to be. And that's not the case. It seems like Coach is taking a little bit from everyone, and I dig it. I dig it. It's what Bob Stoops did too. You got to. You have to be adaptable, you know, in – terms of roster construction in terms of uh, approach the the game's not the same game right i mean no. one of the uh one of the things that we were applauding a couple of years back was nick saban basically saying we had to adapt right if we wanted to keep winning you know this is not this is not three yards in a cloud of dust offense anymore you, you don't win that way and so to have an understanding to some degree not to and i think Every single sport we say, okay, analytics, you have to you have to be involved or aware or knowledgeable to some degree, and yet sometimes put a good hitter at, at the plate that you think is going to come up and, and go get you a big base knock at the right time, right? Not just lefty on lefty because the numbers say lefty on lefty. There, oh, dude, thank you. You just explained it all. All right, moving on. Great, great way to put it. Uh, if somebody wants to really throw a smart question out there next week, I would love to hear Coach go into how he's decided, you know, what numbers he looks at and says, all right, th- these are these are certain – this is a certain batch of stats and analytics that matter to me. These are things that I'm going to implement in how we approach. And these are ones that let's just nah, push them over here. I love it. I love the approach. Okay. Speaking of, of loving the approach, many of you not loving the way things are going in the running back rotation. Here's what Coach said. I think it's hard to play four running backs in, in the course of a game. You know, we run an RPO-based offense. So you have several runs that, heck, the, number, the numbers might have been there. The precision might have been there, but we pulled it out because maybe the numbers were, were good outside as well. You know, sometimes I think it, you, know, you want to be efficient. And uh, we got to, uh, as I said last night in you know, my coach's show, you know, we need to be a little more detail. A guy here and there doesn't take but just one guy not doing his job or 
uh, being uh, not as detailed as we need to be, and uh, everything can go to go to heck quickly. And Cincinnati was a really good front, and they had some uh, did some good things uh, schematically. And there again, they're they're really it's a really good uh, physical group of guys. And uh, but we got to be a little more precise and detailed. And so uh, again, Demarco does a great job at evaluating those guys through the course of the week and who's who's practicing uh, the best. And so that's how we make, you know, a lot of those decisions. And then I thought this was – there was a follow-up and Coach Venables said, well, what did we do last year? Oh, yeah, that's right. Eric Gray has established himself, which led to this. Well, Eric Gray had, had established himself, yeah, you know, so we'd love for somebody to establish themselves. That hasn't happened yet. Mm. Do you, you know, that opens up my mind a lot. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I suddenly start veering into, all right, what, are they not seeing something in practice? Are they not seeing something in the approach? Is it a health situation? Because that's what so many of us jumped on when that initial depth chart came out, right? Oh, my, are you kidding me? Marcus Major atop the depth chart? Well, wait till these guys get healthy. Okay, well, we're four weeks in. You know, we're four weeks into the season. You usually feel like you have things pretty established by now, right? And and, and does I guess maybe the question should be: Does it raise any alarms that someone hasn't established themselves? A little bit, sure. Yeah, that uh, that nobody's taken it in and just made it their gig. Part of that, though, I do think uh, is the fact that Oklahoma hasn't really just said, "Hey, this is somebody's gig." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of been a revolving door from the coaching staff in terms of who's getting all the uh, totes week to week. So, you know, that kind of lends itself to leaving things open. It's not kind of been handed to somebody. Not not saying that it should be handed to somebody. No, no, but no. Nobody's been given the opportunity week to week to week to just go be the number one guy. Yeah. But, again, it sounds like behind closed doors in practice, that hasn't happened either. Right. There is – um. That's a really good text, by the way. Shark, you're on fire today. Come on, Plank. Barry Switzer played four running backs a game. One of them just happened to take the snaps. <laughs> well done. Uh, 5808 asks, will we be able to run the ball against Iowa State? I have my doubts. 5808, there's a reason why you're one of the top contributors uh, to this year program, because you were reading my mind. Later in the presser, Brent Venables was asked about the challenge of running the football and the unique challenge of running the football against an Iowa State front that is, you know, they run they have three defensive linemen. But in that same vein, very well coached. What is that challenge like for your offensive line? And go. Well, again, it's a different different scheme in some ways uh, at times. So uh, getting into a rhythm, I mean, I, I don't know if this provides that opportunity. I mean, every week is is a a season of its own. And uh, every scheme that you play against has different different type of focus. But at the end of the day, you you still want to, again, you know, come off the ball and know who to target and move people. This is still a game of leverage and inertia and physicality uh, and precision. And uh, so... Uh, you know, we've had, you know, good game control, what I like, through four games. And uh, so, uh, you know, we've had 
you know, very few drives that uh, uh, that guys were just right on and right off the field. Some of it's been three and out, but some of it, you know, three and outs might look different uh, at times this year. So uh, when we have had that those, which hasn't been a lot, but, um, you know, obviously any offense uh, strives for balance. And, uh, and we want, again, more efficiency with what we're doing. In that, in regards to to the running game, mm. game control. What do you hear a lot whenever we hear the four team playoff, or I guess you would say the playoff committee members? What do they talk about a lot whenever they're separating good teams from great teams? They use game control a lot. Sure, smart. So obviously, again, Venables is is thinking from. Kind of an advanced analytics approach. I don't believe that everything that Oklahoma is doing is uh, through an analytical lens, but he clearly, you know, big picture hat that he's wearing is thinking some, thinking through some analytical things. I agree. Which is kind of uh, interesting. I, I mean, I think it's a good sign. I do too. It's uh, also just pretty interesting. It, real quick, Brazilian Sooner before we break asks. If the running back position is up for grabs, we should see who gets the bulk of the carries this week. I can't imagine going into the Cotton Bowl with uncertainty. And then, you know, Brad you agree with that? Nah, not really. I just, I, I don't disagree with your take, Brazilian Sooner. A hundred percent. I just, I don't think that Brent Venables and Demarco Murray look at it and say, "Well, we got to have a guy by week six, seven, or eight. I mean, if they are still trying to figure it out by the Cotton Bowl, then they're still trying to figure it out. I get. I mean, what are they looking for? Like, what, what what's not happening? And is it as much as – because, I mean, I think I've seen some dudes that are capable of being that guy on different occasions. We just haven't seen it consistently. But I would argue, you know, against – I'm trying to remember. Tawi Walker was a dude against SMU and then hardly got a carry against Tulsa. Yeah. I, right? Tulsa was – Barnes and Sachuk. Right. And and when they were both in the backfield, they ran some two backs with them that I really liked. I thought worked well. And then we didn't see either one of them at all against Cincinnati. So I I don't know how to read into it. Yeah, it's every single week it's been You know what it's different. It's, I, I will say it's a fun conversation because I I feel like it's it's a position that much like, you know, not necessarily to the degree of quarterback. But as a skill position, we've seen great running backs here at the University of Oklahoma, right? And I always feel like we, in seeing these great running backs, we're always waiting for the next one. It's always like, well, listen, I know so-and-so is good. But ever since Samaje and, and Joe graduated, it's almost as if we've, well, wait till this guy gets in here. And wait, boy, wait till Rodney Anderson gets in here. Well, wait, you know, Rodney's great. Wait till Trey Sermon takes over. I'm, I'm probably messing up my timeline here a little bit, but – it always seems as if that next great one is the one that's coming in recruiting instead of that guy that's been in the program developing or, you know, the dude that transferred in. How many of you would trade what you have right now for Eric Gray? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you'd welcome Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks back right now in a heartbeat, no question. And interesting, and Brad in Bartlesville is like me. You know, I read in all this stuff. You say, hey, Tawi Walker's a captain this week against Iowa State. I'm assuming he'll play more. I don't know. I don't know if that matters or not, but it's a good catch on your part. Arkansas State, 13 carries, Javante Barnes, 8 for Tawi Walker. 
SMU, 21 carries Tawi Walker, 8 for Marcus Major. Let's see here. Versus Tulsa, Javante Barnes, 13. Gavin Sotchuk, 9. And, uh, of course, uh, this past week at Cincinnati, Marcus Major, 15. Tawi Walker, 5. Yeah, so. I just – it doesn't – there's no rhyme or reason. Everybody's right? had a chance. Everyone's had a chance. I wonder if this is the week – I wonder if this is a week where we do see more Gavin Sawchuck. But I also – I don't know, man. I, I tend he to – He tends to look very – to, to me, as much as we all look back on the – sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to jump on no, you. No, 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 you're good. But as much as we look back on Florida State and we want to say CCC, I see a guy that's looked tentative when he's got the football this year. Right? Now, granted, we've seen what? Nine, ten carries? <laughs> is that it? Is that all he's had this year, just going off the top of my head? I think, yeah, ten is carries. Is that it? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, we've seen 10 carries, so that might be unfair. Man, excuse me. I tend to subscribe to the theory via the text line. I think you're going to see a good bit of Tawi Walker this week. For as much as there's some of you that just can't handle a walk-on being a star player. He's been the best back for Oklahoma so far. He's looked good to me. All right, now when we come back, we're going to – that's the running back talk. There's really good stuff on the text line, and we'll get to it coming up here in a bit. Right, So we'll circle back to the running back conversation here in a moment. But when we come back, I do want to talk about the challenge of Iowa State's defense. But then in that, what Brent Venables has taken from John Haycock and the Iowa State defense. We'll get into that next right here on The Wrap. couple of quick texts on this. I, off the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Frisco Sooner. Guys, not just to have a hot take, but in my opinion, Eric Gray has no more success behind this line than the others. Once again, I still say average O-line, average running backs. Could they gel and get better? Absolutely. But it needs to happen now. No chance against Texas next week without a run game. Fair point, man. I, I, I think more than anything, I was being a little bit smarmy with the Eric Gray comment because of so much of the just wait till he's gone and we get this in here. The 918. Let's get real, guys. The rushing game starts with the O line winning the line of scrimmage. Is the O line not opening up lanes, or are the lanes there and the running backs not hitting them? I, I think it's a combination of all of it. But you know what? I'm going to send that question to my offensive line expert. Let's see what he says. Let's, because. Uh... It's just one snap, but, I mean, things are blocked up well and Marcus Major stumbles last week. True. So, I mean, that's that's why I say, I, look, the, the offensive line clearly to me is the biggest part of the problem. But uh, when things are not going well, things are not going well. And sometimes all of a sudden you get things blocked up nicely and a running back goes stumbling down. You know, it's like they just right now in the run game, it's just not totally clicked. I've received a version of this text on my show at least 500 times. It's not, listen, I, I agree with y'all. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I'm just trying to get us answers, right? Matthew from Muskogee, who's starting to become one of my favorites. Being second or third and long is a factor. Offenses try to run on early downs but quickly resort to passing due to play action and distance. It appears they rush to set up play action in the deep ball. Okay, um... The part I didn't post yesterday, 
maybe that would have really done the numbers I was expecting. Uh huh. We went through this. I mean, the second down for Oklahoma, if first and 10, and what you do on P and 10 is the most important, you know, one of the most important analytics numbers in football. Biggest predictor of success on a drive. You do a much better job of paying attention and remembering than I do. Biggest predictor of success offensively and defensively on a drive. Oklahoma's average was uh, second and 8.8 and second and 8.3. Or second and nine and second and 8.3. Yeah, which is terrible. Just horrible. So you, Matthew, and Muskogee are onto something. And and then one more quick one. Then we'll get to the the best coming up in a bit. Uh, Into the phones at 405 329 9000. Justin writes, Justin and Kuita, is it crazy to think that DeMarco may just play three different back re- backs regardless of the outcome? I feel like the O-line has more to do with this than not. I would say, no, I'm not going to call you crazy, but I would say to me, the first two years with DeMarco Murray as your running backs coach tells me he would like to have a number one. Because that's how each of the past two years have played out with Kennedy and with Eric Gray. That's not a prereq. The you could throw the cheese at bowl my direction and say, okay, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What about Javante Barnes and Sanchuk both going over, uh, you know, the century mark in that game and pretty even in terms of the the carries and whatnot? Okay, but uh, generally speaking, the longer track record indicates that probably Demarco Murray would like to have a number one guy. All right, two quick. Pays, paying off of teases here before we, we get to the phones. When Brent Venables took the job, I think one of the stories he talked about was, hey, you know, I, I, I spent some time studying Iowa State. I think he even said that they spent some time there in Ames, you know, going over the three three five defense. And he talked about what he took from his time in, in really learning more about that three three five attack that has made Iowa State so, so good. What was it? You know, affirmation that they uh, they do a great job at, at developing and teaching and scheming. Uh, their players play with great effort and toughness and belief. Uh, they're very thorough uh, as a staff, and there's a lot of cohesion there inside that building. And uh, they've developed a great culture. Um, those are the things that have stood out to me. And and they built something from a systematic standpoint, philosophy standpoint, scheme standpoint that, uh, you know, has had longevity, you know, in the conference. It has, and it's been successful. Meanwhile, I I thought George Stoya asked a fantastic follow-up question. How have you seen the 3-3-5 change? Not, Not necessarily the defense itself, but change the offensive approach from other teams. Here's what Coach Venable said. I think there's ebbs and flows. You know, they get into a four-man fronts uh, a decent amount too, and so uh, out of the same personnel. So uh, they, that, that's their package. But they have you know a lot of uh, scheme versatility to what they can do. I don't know if teams catch up or not. I don't. You know, I, I think in the uh, you know structurally, it, you know, some things that are. People like to say, well, they just got three guys up there. Well, let's go, you know, pound them. And that's true if you got the guys that can do that and the schemes that, that allow you to do that, potentially, you know. But I've seen the schemes work pretty good at a high level against really good people, too. So I've seen the scheme get obliterated like every other scheme, uh, you know, 
over the years. So you know, the scheme's no good if the players aren't executing it and playing with aggression and physicality and fundamentals. And they that's what they do. They do a really good job of doing all those things. All right, 405-651-3439. Hit us up with your text. We're going to the phones right after the break with Josh. I'm Plank. This is the Home of Sooner fans. All right, um, to the phone. Sorry about that wait, Brian. My bad. USC Brian kicks it off this segment. What's up, man? You know it's always good in the neighborhood. and I want to take you in a different direction for a minute, if you don't mind. Go ahead. I, um, Of course, we know we lost the great Brooks Robinson yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a part of my childhood died that day because in the 71 World Series, that was two Hall of Fame teams because mo- a lot of those players are in the Hall of Fame right now. You had the Robinson, you, what we call the Robinson twins, Frank, both Frank and Brooks playing for the Orioles. And then you had people like McNally, Palmer, and Cuellar, pitchers. Then you had Clemente, Stargell, Blast, Doc Ellis, and Al Oliver over on the Pirate side. And the way I and, – and the – and that was really the first series that I can remember really paying attention to Major League Baseball. Why? Back in the day, if you remember, they never showed games at night. They always showed them during the day. Mm. So so us as kids got a treat because I was 10 years old. I was in grade school. And what did they do? They showed us game one and game two of the World Series. Right. They had they brought a TV into the into the classroom and we sat there and watched it. I mean that was one of the biggest treats we had had because I mean you know kids don't get stuff like that now. You know we got that and I think that's why baseball back in the day was king. Now it doesn't get that kind of kind of publicity. Oh yeah, there's still people that still love baseball and they're diehard baseball fans like our brother Don King, but, you know, it, it just is not the same. And, you know, when I, when I looked at him yesterday, they showed pictures of him. He was 86. So, God, I got to look at that. And I said, God, where did my time go? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just – I just felt like I finally felt old. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Brian, I appreciate the phone call, and it's a good – it's a good reminder. Yeah, yeah. So I'll talk to you soon, buddy. It's a good reminder of some of the greats. Brooks, Ro- Brooks Robinson was a little bit before my time. But whenever I was younger, my dad would always tell me about him. He's like, you got to get down. You got to make a play. Brooks Robinson used to when you're over there at third base. Needless to say, I didn't last very long at third base, Josh. He's one of those guys that you would hear about, but I never really got to see. Now, the one thing that I could relate to is I'm old enough to remember where the only option you got to watch baseball was WGN and the Cubs, and that was it. So maybe when Sean Dunstan passes, I'll have a moment. Or Ryan Sandberg. I mean, I wasn't even a Cubs fan, but it's all you got. It's all you had. That's why we all have the Empire commercial memorized. 588-2300 Empire. Because it was the only sponsor, I think, on the broadcast. Oh, and the Bozo the Clown show. That was that was the other thing from WGN. 
But yeah, R.I.P. Brooks Robinson, who passed away. Uh, 16 straight gold gloves? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. His entire career. His entire career with one team. You just don't see that. And you're not going to see that anymore outside of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's uh, and you might not see it with him at, at the end. We'll see. But, uh, you know, it's it's a different world professionally. Different, different world. All right, um, a couple of other quick ones here from the BV press that I want to get to. Thanks for the call, Brian, 405-329-9000. Um, we heard it from Coach Venables talking about somebody establishing themselves, right? Well, here's what Brent Venables had to say about the man who's established himself at quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, and what he saw from DG when looking back on Saturday's game. He played good, you know. He played well. He managed things well, made good decisions, uh, led with toughness, played with some toughness, had a, you know, several, you know, plus one run game uh, that went for positive yards and, uh, you know, played well. And, and does that mean he played perfect? Nobody that got on the on the plane played perfectly. And that's never expected, but... Uh, uh, you know, he did a lot that was, you know, fantastic in the game and and uh, gave us a chance uh, to win. <laughs> Mason Jar revival. USC Bryant. Now there's a name, name I haven't heard since, well, be- since before you were born. <laughs> uh, you're never going to get, by the way, back to the Brent Venables cut. You're never going to get him talking about a dude playing perfectly. But I felt in that. Right, If you want to be that glass-half-full kind of person, which uh, a handful of you are, you can take enough from that to say, see, told you, told you, even Brent Finnables isn't confident in him right now. No, that's kind of how he's always talked about Dylan Gabriel. I'm going to make it a point just for my man Trey on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line that every post-game I'm going to ask Brent Finnables about Dylan Gabriel. I think Dylan Gabriel played. How did DG do today? I was terrible. We're thinking about Jackson Arnold. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, that's about all that I really pulled from the BV presser and kind of looking back. Was there anything else that kind of stood out to you from the tea leaves yesterday? We we played earlier the PJ at Bowery stuff, right? And, and that was the big one. Right. Is uh, Are those snaps, is, is that really going to tick up, do you think? I think so. I think so. And it probably should, right? Right. I, I will add, I don't I don't think suddenly he's going to be out there starting. And it seemed as if those snaps came at the expense of Trace Ford on Saturday. Rondell Bothroyd he and played really well. Ethan Downs, those two guys basically doubling up P.J. right now in terms of snaps. Yep. I trying to see. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything else that I had I'd kind of missed from yesterday's presser that really, really kind of stood out. I think that was about it. I mean, everybody flexing on where they had P.J. rated, right? I think there was a lot of that. Um, You know what? We, when we come back, there was one other thing that I thought was really good that I've got to dig for, and we'll do it next. And that's how coaches handled his meetings. And how he realizes, okay, we got shorter attention spans. Let's be smart about this. 
I thought that was really good. Plus, the best of the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. It's coming up next right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. All right, it's the Plank Show right here on the ref, the Home of Sooner Fans, with Josh on Plank. So I mentioned there was one more cut I wanted to play. Uno Mas. Uno Mas. Here we go. It was a really good question from Eric Bailey. You know, you got guys that are having to accept new roles, right? Maybe not playing as much or some playing more. You know, how rewarding is it to see them accept that? I think it's critical to have the right kind of locker room. And that's not an easy thing. Again, we I don't take that for granted. I think lots of communication is important. That's why, again, I, I, I like playing more guys because uh, everybody likes to play, even if it's just a little bit. And that sometimes that's easier said than done. I get it uh, at certain positions. Um, but, you know, for us to, to be the kind of program that we want, I want to promote everybody valuing the role that they have and making the most of it. And being a good teammate, I think, is important. You know, having a selfless, committed uh, football team that's going to celebrate each other's success and ultimately want the team to be successful is, uh, is critical. And, again, cohesion and chemistry and building trust with one another, I think it's really important. So we got to do a great job of not taking that for granted as a staff. And, uh, and again, I think giving guys their opportunity when they deserve to play, play. Sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 50-50. And, uh, but if it's, if it's 90-10, they need to play their 10. You know, I think that's important. You know, so we, you know, by, by middle of the year to November, you know, you got a, a locker room that, you know, you got really good team morale because it, you know, like I've said all along, it doesn't get easier as the season goes on. It gets harder uh, because, you know, Guys get bored, they get distracted, uh, they lose vision, and uh, uh, you know boredom is the probably the greatest threat to all of your success. And uh, but for us to be successful, you have to go through a uh, a boring routine every week. You know uh, where most of it's the same. You know the leaders got to do a good job. Myself's got to do a good job of keeping things fresh and fun, uh, whatever that means. I think that's important. You know, in a big picture too, but uh, I want to celebrate. You know, some their success. You know, I think that's important that when they, everybody wants to be affirmed in whatever role that they have, and they want to be recognized. So that's all part of all of that too, nurturing uh, the competition, and you know where guys are, you know, sharing a role. They also he, he talked a little bit later about hey, you know, if I don't if I don't have your attention in a meeting, we're shutting it down. We're going to stop. We're going to. Make sure we need to do what we can to get everyone back on the same page. Good way to make it fun. Win this week, win next week. Bro, you beat Texas. You, are you guys ready for a narrative to completely change? You, I feel like I'm – Especially if this defense looks like it's looked throughout the start of this season and you make Quinn Ewers and that offense look a little silly down there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Preach, yeah. Josh. Narrative uh, narrative flipper for sure. Big time. There was uh, – But that's next week. There was everything that I think we needed to get to from yesterday's presser. Good stuff. And your reaction is fantastic. So, when we come back, we'll hit – well, we got the top five stories of the day, but we're going to hit a lot of your really good texts on it. Yeah, but someone said, what, I, I didn't have WGN as a kid. 
So what we we only oh, I'm sorry, Superstation TBS as a kid. I was talking to my man Chris Rainey about it. I got I grew up in St. Louis, so we wouldn't get and and maybe it was just it wasn't a part of the package or the the tier that we got. Maybe it's because we were poor. I don't know, but we didn't get. I want to say we didn't get TBS until well down the line, and I think I was throwing a fit for TBS because I wanted to watch Ric Flair. I don't think it had anything to do with the Braves. <laughs> we had WGN, man. It was Channel 3. We had uh, our, our TV stations when I was a kid, Channel 2, 4, and 5. And Channel 11 was KPLR TV, Josh. And that would, th- that would show some Cardinal games and the Three Stooges every Saturday night. So that was my station. And isn't then you had it, Channel 3, which was WGN. Isn't it wild to think back to the just the, the limited number of channels? And the power that that, of course, in turn lent those channels. I sure. mean, it's like, man, if you're a local television was stronger. I mean, it's just a different world now. It's funny to me because, like, no one can relate. Like, my my daughters can't relate. Oh, they have no idea. No idea. I don't even really have a great idea because when I was growing up, you know, there were seventy channels or whatever. What do you mean, Dad? You couldn't just go play any song that you ever wanted whenever you were younger. What do you mean you just couldn't pull up YouTube and watch the highlights? You had to buy a cassette. What, what's a cassette? Right. Or, or a 45. 45 was my personal favorite. Dude, I had a 45 collection. <laughs> All right, quick break. We're back with the top five stories of the day next.